Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Hello, hello, my friends. It is another beautiful week, and I am so glad you are joining me today for another episode of Breast Cancer Conversations. Today is a recording that we did as part of our MBC Grieving Together webinar series with Abigail Johnston and our guest, Diane. Diane comes and joins us today to talk to us about financial literacy. And what I mean by that is that anything financial can be incredibly overwhelming, especially if it's not our forte. I'm raising my hand even though you can't see it. That person is me. To understand the difference between a CFA versus a CPA, Doing my taxes for myself, let alone doing my taxes for the podcast and the nonprofit, can be completely overwhelming. Then you ask me how my budget is doing, if I'm lowering my credit card debt, what my score is in case I wanted to buy a house or a second home. Then you throw cancer on top of that, and now you have the unexpected medical bills that keep piling on. I am now contributing to my HSA, which is trying to max out at it. I think right now it's around $3,500 a year, etc. So what I'm trying to get at here is it's one big mess. It's very complicated and I don't even know if I'm doing it right. Before we jump into today's episode, however, I want to make sure that if you're listening, that you also sign up for our survivingbreastcancer.org newsletter. We send out newsletters every Monday and Friday. I also invite you to join our Thursday Night Thrivers Meetup. This is a weekly standing appointment that we hold every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. Starting this fall, we will also be hosting on Thursday nights as part of our Thrivers Meetup of special breakout rooms specifically for those living with metastatic breast cancer. So that'll be offered the second Thursday of every month. We're really excited about that. And then I have to give a shout out to our book club because we do have a breast cancer book club where we read books that have absolutely nothing to do with breast cancer. So if you're looking for a little bit of escapism, reading a variety of different genres of books, getting some good recommendations, and then of course meeting the amazing women in our breast cancer tribe, you are more than welcome to join us on the first Sunday of every month. I will link to all of these events where you can find out more information into RSVP below in the show notes. So without further ado, let's talk all things finance. Welcome to the conversation. Welcome everyone to the webinar series with survivingbreastcancer.org and MBC Grieving Together, where every other Sunday we talk about all of those issues that those of us living with stage four metastatic breast cancer face and do so in an open and frank uh, way as much as we possibly can. Today, we are extremely excited to be able to talk about some of those financial issues that we all face. Um, And really, people with any kind of serious illness um, are going to face some of these adjustments in your financial ability because either you're not able to work as much, you're not making as much, you have more expenses in terms of co-pays and maximums uh, that you have to meet before your insurance kicks in. Uh, There's so many different things that all of us face with a serious illness. And that might be for a temporary basis or on a long-term basis. And so we are joined today by somebody that I'm excited to see again, Diane Webb from Stonebridge Financial Services in Orlando, Florida. Diane is somebody who I sent many clients to when I was working in Orlando in a divorce practice. And um, when Laura suggested we talk about some of the financial toxicity 
authenticity issues, Diane was the first person I thought of who would be able to explain things in an understandable way, even though she understands all of the nitty gritty behind the scenes stuff. Um, But translating that into something that everybody can understand is one of her fortes. Diane, would you like to introduce yourself and uh, talk a little bit about your background and your business? I am a certified financial planner. And for those of you that don't know what that is, that means I've had advanced training in the five areas of financial planning. That's retirement planning, the financial side of estate planning, insurance analysis, investment management, and taxes. Uh, Taxes, I'm also an enrolled agent, so we do tax preparation in our office. And as Abigail mentioned, I am a certified financial divorce financial advisor, which is how we ended up working together. Stonebridge Financial Planning Group specializes in women going through transition. So that's divorce, widowhood, or any major changes in their lives, which is what you all are talking about today. So I'm I'm very happy to help. Wonderful. And it's always good to have somebody in your corner who can translate those things um, as well as guide you to the other people who might be able to help you along the way as well. How do you learn those five elements in order to be able to advise others? So they are um, um, postgraduate. Um, courses. So you have to have an undergrad. It it doesn't have to be in finance, but mine is in finance. And then there's six postgrad. Well, when I did it, it was five. Now they've made it six. Six postgraduate courses. And then a pretty grueling exam. Uh, When I took it, it was about a 32% pass rate average. And then you have to have three years of active experience working directly with clients in order to use the CFP. So if if you're looking for a financial um, professional, you really need to look for a CFP. So you know that they're looking at everything in your finances, not just taxes or not just insurance or not just investments, but the whole whole package. What are some of the other designations that you would see? I think you mentioned um, taxes that would probably be like a CPA or an accountant. You have your insurance agents. What what other um, specialties are there? Right. So there's CPA, which is Certified Public Accountant. So a CPA learns accounting, auditing, and taxes. So like I said, I'm an enrolled agent, which is basically just the tax part of CPAs. I don't do accounting and auditing. So that's an enrolled agent. You might see other certified investment advisors, chartered financial advisors. Those are other common names out there. It's a different um, course to um, get those designations. I have my insurance license. A lot of financial advisors do have their insurance license. We only do life and long-term care in our office. I don't do health insurance. So it's, again, it's back to, it's nice to have someone that is trained in all those areas so I can look at the whole situation. But then of course you need an estate planning attorney to make sure all those are in order too which we're going to, I'll bring up some more things on that in a little bit. <laughs> I, I am sure that you will. It seems like what you're saying is it's kind of like those umbrella policies that you have when you have insurance. So somebody like you sits above some of these other nitty gritty details and make sure that it all works together for the, the financial health of the person that you're working with. Right. And not just one area. A lot of professionals are just the one area you go and you get your insurance policy and then you're done. Well, they don't know how that fits with your investments, and the investment person may not know about your estate planning, 
or what your tax situation is. So when you do those in isolation, you can miss some things. So how does someone go about finding a certified financial planner? Is it good enough to just put in certified financial planner on Google? You can. There are other ways. Um, the C the website cfpboard.net is directly at the CFP website, and you can you can put in your zip code and search for professional in your area. Most CFPs are going to also have securities licenses, so you can go to brokercheck.org and just check and make sure the person doesn't have any. It's, you know, they're not Bernie Madoff in in hiding, or they don't have any charges or um, you know penalties charged against them. The CFP board um, will show you that too. What, how, if they're in good standing, they're current with their um, continuing education and everything. So that's the investments and retirement piece, correct? Is that what that affects? Broker check is just the investment side. Okay. The CFP board is everything. Financial Planning Association also has what they call a planner search page. So you can look in there as well. Um, people with securities licenses aren't allowed to put testimonials on their website. So like a lot of professionals, you go and say, well, how many stars do they have? Or what do people say about them? You're not going to find that about good advisors because we're not allowed to do that. So we can't promise investment returns. We can't say these five people say I'm wonderful. We're not allowed to do that. So it's, that's why you have to go to these professional websites to do the searching that way. Diane, with the changes with COVID and everything becoming more virtual, are you working with people who are out of your particular area or is your practice still focused on people in Orlando? We only have one physical office and that's in Orlando, but but we work with clients right now, 27 different states and two other countries. One of my big principles when I help people organize their finances is I'm a big fan of simplifying your life. So this can apply whether you're healthy or or have a medical issue, but simplify it. So many people come to my office and they have three old 401ks, former advisors. They have bank accounts at three different banks. They have an IRA over at Morgan Stanley and a Roth over at Schwab. They think. You know, it's somewhere. And so <laughs> that's usually the first thing we do is help people get it consolidated. Just makes it so much easier to manage whether you're healthy or ill and easier for your beneficiaries and people that come behind you if they if they know I can call this bank and all her bank accounts are there. I, I know this is her financial advisor. So all of her investments are there except maybe where she worked, the 401k. And I know who does her taxes. So simplify, simplify, simplify is the big thing. Then we we look at their whole financial picture. What is their situation? What are their goals? So I have to know both because I have to know, well, what, what are you trying to achieve? What is your goal? And therefore, are you on a good path to get there? And so if you're not, then we have to figure out, okay, what can we do to help you reach that goal? Is it possible? And we work through that together. And if it's not, then we say, well, I don't think that's going to be possible. No, you can't retire at 33 and buy a beach house in in Miami. (laughs) (laughs) But what could you do, you know, and how can we get you to where something that's where you would enjoy the rest of your life? 
that's the process. And then, then it's how we do that based on what the needs are and the gaps we find. Again, whether it's insurance, investments, or saving, or maybe they need to get a different job. So we talk through the whole thing. A third thing we do is in part of that process, which I recommend to everyone is annually check your beneficiaries on all your accounts. I cannot tell you how many new people have come to me and, oh yeah, I think that's still my mom from before I got married. We actually had a a case of that. A gentleman died unexpectedly. Um, and his wife went, came to me bringing all the things. He had opened an IRA before he got married and never changed it to her. Oh, wow. So she still had kids at home and needed the money. It went to his mother who was in a Medicaid facility. And so she didn't, she couldn't get income or it messed up her benefits. So it was a mess. So every year, check who your beneficiaries are. It doesn't, doesn't mean you've, you know, disinherited somebody, but just check because you forget. And you can put beneficiaries on bank accounts too. So I highly recommend that. Just every year, make sure you stay on top of it. So when we're building your plan, um, we normally, we, you know, the mantra is pay yourself first. So, it, and before you can do that, you know, I'll back up. The most important thing is a spending plan. It's that dreaded B word that nobody wants to talk about, a budget. But a budget really is just you telling your money what you want to do with it. It's your money. Um, I love to tell the story. Across the street from my church for the longest time was this little shack of a building, probably eight by 10 building that looked like if you leaned against it, it would fall over. For the longest time in front of it, it had a, little, a brand new Corvette. It's like, you know, that person could have a perfectly functioning budget. It's just they choose to spend your money, their money on their car and not where they live. So that's true of everybody. You can go to a fine steak re- restaurant every Friday night. You might not be able to go on vacation, but you could do it if that's what you want to do. And so it really does matter, you know. Take the time, figure out what are you spending just to maintain your house. And I like to do that. You, I, I have a sheet that I use, which I can send to you later. But if you just have old-fashioned graph paper, I like to, no numbers, no receipts, you know, just write categories, groceries, eating out, clothing, gifts. And fill in boxes. And when I stopped at Starbucks on my way home, I'll fill in $10, you know, (laughs) or I stopped at the grocery store filling $85. And so you don't have to, you can make it easy. You don't need a calculator. You don't need receipts. You don't need pennies. It's just, yeah, I spent about $40 and just make it easy on yourself. Again, back to simplifying, know how much you need to run your house. When you know that, you know if there's any left over. And if we've already talked about what your goals are, and with your goals, we know that you need to be saving $100 a month or $200 a month, that you can do it. And it doesn't mess up mess up your budget. You also know that you can go to that steak restaurant Friday because it's in your budget and there's no guilt. It takes the pressure off of, oh my gosh, we're going to have these expenses coming up, so we probably shouldn't do that. 
it takes that all away and gives you the freedom of mind. That's one less thing to worry about. I, I love this idea that you're telling your money what you want it to do. Like you're you're in control of this. Nothing is controlling you. Kind right. of like we talk about a will is just you telling the judge what you want to happen to what you have. Right. And you know, if we take the you know, take the B word away, take the yes. you know, the W, the will, take that yeah. out of the equation and you just think about it as you're in control. It yeah, I think that really takes a lot of the uh know the angst out of it right yeah so I'm also not a budget person my my (laughs) husband keeps me on a budget I break the budget all the time but he keeps me where I'm supposed to be so me saying that's a good thing (laughs) (laughs) one of my favorite stories um my brother is has his MBA is a finance person he was helping me with my b word but the my budget I would go to him all the time and I love that he's my younger brother helping me with my budget and I will never forget he lives life large and he was like, Laura, if you don't have a budget, like you can never go over it. Like you just got to live. And I'm like, I don't know if that's the best advice. I appreciate you helping me, but that's his mentality. And it was just so funny and, you know, on point at the time. But I think it's just so important to do almost that audit, that check of seeing exactly where your money is going. Um, I love using my credit card in the sense that at the end of the day, at the end of the month, it's easy to export. I can sort based mm-hmm. on the categories and see exactly what I'm spending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when that you, like nice I way. said, the, yeah. the best thing is just the peace of mind, you know, that mm-hmm. the numbers work and, and the freedom that that gives. It's not It's not restrictive. It's a freedom thing. And then if you have some of these medical expenses where you know I have to meet a deductible every year or I have to get to my out-of-pocket maximum. So we know January, February, March are going to be months where we're going to have a lot of outlay and medical expenses. That can go into the budget. Um, and then, you know, if you need to save up in the, the rest of the year so that you have mm-hmm. those chunks at the beginning mm-hmm. of the year, because you know, a lot of our listeners are people who are living with an illness that requires a lot of money. And sometimes they're unexpected expenses. And so Mm -hmm. having, you know, knowing that it's coming and being able to plan for it is, is huge. Um, you know, with anything, obviously unexpected things are a whole other thing. (laughs) Right. Well, that's even when I help people with this, it's like Christmas is not an emergency. It happens every year. So same thing yeah. with you all, you know, January, February, and March, it's not a surprise. It happens every year. Mm-hmm. So that's where we get back to the pay yourself first. So if you have any income coming in a salary or whatever source, put that money into a savings account right away before you start buying groceries. So pay yourself first. So you know that that's growing and that's there. And then next January, when you have those big expenses, it's not a crisis. You're prepared for it. And we found um, over the years, too, that doctors, hospitals are quite willing to take payment plans. They're quite willing to, you know, um, as long as you're paying consistently on it, if you need to do it that way, a lot of times they they will agree to work with you if you haven't been able to plan um, as much as you would like to. Do you find that HSAs and FSAs are are, good? easy to work with. They've seemed to have gotten a lot more complicated over the years. They are a lot more complicated because a lot more people are offering them banks and investment services. So there's a lot to, lots of different places you can get them. 
I have not had problems using them. You just need to keep track of your medical expenses because it, it can be a tax issue if you don't report it correctly on your tax return. The nice okay. thing about them is as long as you're using it for medical expenses, you, you may know this, but all the growth that they have in that account is never taxed. It's kind of like a Roth. It grows tax-free as long as you use it for medical. And the difference between an HSA and an FSA is that FSAs don't roll over, right? Sure. You have to use everything by the end of the year, but an HSA will often last a bit longer. Do I have that right? Yes, correct. Uh, there's a there's one chain of advice that some people recommend is um, if you're contributing to a Roth every year and want to save more for retirement, also max out an HSA because it is also growing tax-free. And so then in retirement, you can pull that out for your health insurance or medical expenses, again, tax-free. What are the maximums for HSA? Yeah, there's some maximums and there's some limitations. And so you have to be in a high deductible medical plan. So that rules some people out. Some of the businesses, you're, you're not in a high deductible plan. So something to ask your uh, certified financial planner right. about right. Um, if that fits in your uh, full picture, especially right. if we know that it's coming every single year and right. uh, and what to do about that. So um, yeah, so that's a, a good thing to, to ask about. So if you already had some investments before you had the big med- medical event, there are different ways that you can get money out of what you already have in investments. And it makes a big difference how, how you do that. So the easiest is from an individual or a joint brokerage account. You're, 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 you're paying taxes on it every year. So when you pull money out, there are no taxes. Unless you had to sell something, there might be a little capital gains, but pretty much it's tax-free. If you are over 59 and a half, you can do the same thing from a Roth. You can pull it out and it's tax-free. If you are under 59 and a half, there's a medical hardship that you can use to pull money out of a Roth or a traditional IRA and not have that 10% penalty. Um, you have to have medical expenses that exceed 7.5% of your adjusted gross income. If is you do, same, is that the same percentage where you can write off your well, medical expenses? Well, for a couple of years, it went up to 10, but it's back to 7.5 right now. So okay. yes, when you reach that point that you can write it off is also the point if you have more, you can avoid that what they call an early withdrawal penalty of 10%. So that would be the order from your individual or joint account, uh, then from a Roth Thirdly, from a traditional IRA or a 401k, if you have those. Traditional IRA, you're going to pay income tax, but no penalties. 401ks, you need to talk to the employer. Most 401k plans have a hardship clause in there that allows you to take it out even before the 7.5%. Knowing that you can plan for it is, is always helpful, but I'm sure, Diane, you'd recommend that people have a rainy day fund. Uh, for emergencies. How, how much is the rule of thumb that you should have put away? The rule of thumb kind of went out the window in 2008 when people were unemployed for a year, but typically they say three to six months. So if you have one wage earner in the home, it's six months. If you have two, then you could probably get away with three because most cases, both people wouldn't be unemployed at the same time. So you're supplementing. 
But again, that's back to the, your spending plan. How do you know it's six months of what? If you haven't figured out what is the nut, you know, just your core expenses. You know, if, if, if you're unemployed, you're not going to be going out to dinner. You're not going to be going on vacation. You're not going to be contributing to your IRA. Just what does it cost to keep your house running and food on the table? That's what the six months is for. You said you don't write policies for medical insurance. So who do you send people to when they need a medical insurance policy? In Florida, really, Blue Cross Blue Shield is the primary. I mean, they're the only ones in Orlando that I know that write for individuals other than some of the health share programs, which I'm not sure that's the best thing if you have a, a, a chronic serious illness. It's very complicated. Okay. But, uh, yeah, there are some brokers that, that I've worked with who specialize in the Medicare, Medicaid, you know, kind of getting into that, um, as well as looking in the marketplace, because here in Florida, Blue Cross Blue Shield is the only one in the yeah. marketplace. So I suggest everybody to go to a broker that can look broadly, look at the marketplace, look at Medicare, look at Medicaid, look at all of the different options. And just like Diane does, put that together in a way that actually really makes sense. Getting more, say, life insurance or getting a different health insurance plan, difficult when you are already diagnosed with something. We know that pre-existing conditions don't exist anymore because of Obamacare, but it's still something that you have to think about, um, especially when someone's evaluating how risky you are. So what would be the steps that you believe someone should take financially when a serious illness comes about? Some of the things we've already mentioned. I mean, first off, if you haven't already, again, that is, it's critical to know how much do you need to keep your house going? That's the critical thing. And is, is the income that's going to continue coming into your house going to be able to cover that? So if it's not, some of the ways the retirement accounts I mentioned are great options. You know, if you need that to to help your spouse or a child, then you need that. Use it. That's what it's there for is to help your family. But if you have exhausted those or you don't have them, most people and their biggest asset is their home. <clears throat> Excuse me. And a lot of people, especially now with prices the way they are, have a lot of equity in your home. So there are various options with that. And then at a last resort, um, there are reverse mortgages. And I know when I say that phrase, everybody's hair raises up on the back of your neck. They used to be very, very, very bad. They are not that way anymore. Do the traditional banks do reverse mortgages or is it mostly separate companies? It's separate companies. Okay. Anytime you've got a life change, you get married, you have a baby, you graduate from college, you get a new job you get diagnosed with something serious. Those are all triggers and times other than the annual looking at your beneficiaries thing. That's definitely an annual thing. (laughs) But outside of that, to look at your whole picture, anytime your life changes, you need to look and make sure that all of your financial arrangements, all of your estate planning, who you want to make decisions if you're incapacitated, all of that still matches where you are in your life. And that may mean rolling something over like you were mentioning. Right. Right. And not only that, I also add when I'm explaining that to clients, um, it may not be that you've changed your mind or you've had a life change, but the laws have changed. 10 years ago, great thing. Yeah. 10 years ago, the HIPAA laws were totally different than they are today. 
pay. And that catches people off guard. They don't, they don't know, they don't understand that until they're in a situation where, oh my goodness, I can't find out about my college age son because he's 19 years old. So we, we usually recommend people get them reviewed at least every five years. I, I would just encourage you another common concern that people have when they come to me for the first time is, is there their investments, they're afraid of the stock market and afraid of investing, whether it's a major illness or it's they're retiring and people think they should be ultra conservative because they can't take any risks. And that's that's not necessarily true anymore. There's so many um, different options that we can invest in and a good advisor can make it very conservative or a moderate. There, there's a lot of things you can do. So it's not just you know, cash under the mattress or ultra aggressive. There's lots of ways in there. So if you have a little nest egg, like you mentioned, someone gives you an extraordinary gift at Christmas or whatever, there are ways that you can have it safely grow and it's not scary. We, But two, two things I always tell clients, one is we don't want to do anything that would cause you not to sleep at night. So your peace of mind is what's most important. And closely related to that, you should never invest in something if you can't turn around and explain it to a third grader. There are Ooh, so many. Good, that's a good one. <laughs> there are so many complicated financial things out there. Don't put your money there if you don't understand them. It is your money. You need to understand it. And if the person can't explain it, don't do it. Advisors are, are mainly paid through investment management. That's the primary payment method. Um, And that's either fee-based, so it's a flat percentage on the assets that you have with the advisors, or it can be on a commission basis, meaning every time you buy and sell something, the advisor gets a fee. Um, Most people do both. There's a lot of advisors um, these days that only do fee. There's some limitations to that, and there's some benefits to it. So you just have to ask more questions about which you prefer. But also, a lot of people will work on an hourly basis. If you don't have assets to invest, our office will work on an hourly basis. And then we have a a flat fee when we do a full financial plan. You don't have to be an investment client to have us do the in-depth plan, figure out your goals, figure out where you are, develop a path. We can do that on an hourly or a project basis as well. So whatever you need or whatever you have, there are ways to work within what right. it is that, that you need in order to get the input that, um, uh, that, that would be helpful. Thank you so much, Diane, for your time today, for all of your wisdom. I think you mentioned there was a chart that you wouldn't mind sending to us. I've been taking notes and uh, we'll develop a little handout that we can share on the website. And so keep your... Uh, Thank you for tuning in and listening to our podcast. If you would like to find out more about our organization and upcoming events and ways to connect, you can find out more by visiting our website at survivingbreastcancer.org. I would like to acknowledge that all of the information on our podcast is from personal experiences and it is not a substitute for professional medical advice. You should always consult your medical care team. If you're looking for specific topics or would like to be a guest on our show, feel free to contact me directly at laura at survivingbreastcancer.org. And of course, we have a couple social media handles you can follow us at as well. For example, Surviving Breast Cancer Org, all one word, as well as our podcast specifically, Breast Cancer Conversations. 
Until next time, keep on thriving.